If you are new with us, or perhaps you've missed a week or two, we are in the book of Galatians. Um, We did read several different parts just right there, and the reason for that is because we're kind of picking up on this um, theme that Paul is really not obsessed with, but in, and that is his defense. He continues to make a defense for his apostleship, for the gospel, um, and really, this comes on the back end of him saying, I'm not afraid of people. I know that people think I'm afraid of people, but I'm not afraid. If I was, I would not be a good servant of Christ. And so that's kind of where we're at in our book of Galatians. You're all caught up. If you missed it, um, there are all kinds of sermons on our website that we welcome you to go and, um, uh, and partake. So today, Paul leads us into the awkward waters of conflict. More importantly, the awkward waters of public conflict. Um, And so he leads us into these waters that none of us find too familiar or too comfortable, and yet providentially, God has put us on this path today as the grove, as people that apparently need to hear in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, uh, uh, about how to do this. And so we're really talking about how to conflict today as God's people. It's not a subject that we like to talk about. Um, And yet we need to be a people that can not just talk about conflict, but engage in it in the proper way. I say that because most of us associate conflict with drama. Yes? Okay, I just trapped you. Instead, Instead, conflict is a necessary thing that we have to engage in if we're going to mature in Christ. We have to be able to to engage in the proper biblical way into conflict. Conflict does not equal drama. Instead, unbiblical reactions to conflict, that leads to drama. So don't associate the two things, conflict and drama. Instead, drama comes because we're not biblical in our response to disagreements. I'm borrowing now uh, from one of uh, my favorite authors, Larry Crabb, when he says a few things about biblical community and biblical spiritual community and, bibl- and unbiblical, unspiritual community. He says these two things. Both of them I want you to note. This is not going to come up here. This is a late ad as of this morning. Um, but I'll tell you this. Like, I have the book. If you want something to read in 2020 or don't wait, like there's still three more months, three and a half months of 2019. This is easily the most influential book I've ever read outside of the Bible. Not even close. And so this is Becoming a True Spiritual Community by Larry Crabb. I'll tell you, it's going to paint a vision that we'll never live up to because it's called a vision, not reality. Uh, And so a profound vision of what the church can be. It it paints beautiful pictures, but it says this about biblical and unbiblical uh, spirituality. community. Biblical community, in the presence of conflict, we dig into familial relationships, that is family, I'm using that language now for us, and engage in those family relationships in the presence of conflict with mercy and humility, okay? But then, this is where Crab's uh, comments come in, in unbiblical community, you still have conflict. Biblical community, conflict. Unbiblical community, conflict. You still got conflict, no matter which way you go. But it is our response to that conflict in unbiblical community that I want us to hear. In unbiblical, unspiritual community, we hide. We hide behind relationships that are centered around you. This is going to be a fun sermon, y'all. 
We hide behind relationships that are centered around you. And so he's got several different descriptions of what that looks like, one of them being what he calls congenial. These congenial relationships are when you attach to one or a few people so that you can avoid conflict when others. So it's not a bad thing to be congenial and to agree with people. It is a bad thing to hide in that. You see the difference? It's good to have people you connect with in love. It's bad to only connect in love with those people and therefore hide from everyone else because you don't want to engage in the conflict. Um, There's consoling relationships. These are the people you run to and they go, man, I feel your pain. They really are that way. Come, put your head here. Not a bad thing. We, we, We need to weep with those who weep. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. But if we hide from conflict and others by seeking only those relationships in which we console we're in trouble. We hide. We're, we're in the unspiritual community. Or counseling. We don't talk to the person that we have issues with, but we will pay someone to hear us talk about that person that we have issues with. Counseling is good, right? I could never say that counseling's bad. Me and Melissa go to counseling every month. Yes, that's true. You're in a church where the pastor goes to counseling every month. It's been, the way, been that way from the beginning. Do you, want, do you really want to be around me without it? <laughs> Answer, no. But it's true, right? But we have, that's good, but not if we hide from the necessary conflict we must have. Or we have conforming relationships. And this is where we just, you know what? We don't know what the rules are, but we're gonna find out what the rules are and we're gonna do the rules. We conform to whatever it is. We're kind of uncertain, so we just, you know what? Head down, let's get it done. So that's what Larry Crabb is gonna invite us into to understand what biblical community, presence of conflict, and we engage with humility and mercy. Unbiblical community, presence of conflict, and we hide. Okay, I want that to be in the background as to what Paul is going to lead us into a very healthy, merciful, biblical understanding of family, of community, and yes, of conflict. It's, it's a part of life. Like, we just have to be able to be okay with it. So today, though, as we lead ourselves into this, I want to do something different. Instead of kind of running through some points, I want to go, like, deep dive into the text. We're going to bring out, like, four or five different Greek words. You guys are just going to, like, um, enjoy the commentary with me. And at the end of this, we're going to, like, ask a bunch of questions from, uh, about Peter and about Barnabas and about Paul. Okay? And you're going to be Peter and you're going to be Barnabas and you're going to be Paul. We're just going to ask some questions as we end this. So let's deep dive as we get into Galatians 2, 11 through 14. So verse 11, right? We're just going to jump through like line by line, verse by verse. Here we go. Let's break down what happens or what happened at Antioch. If you'll remember, uh, Paul has, has planted these churches in the region of Galatia. And as he's done so, he's now writing the book of Galatians back to this cluster of churches in what is modern day Turkey. They're a very young congregation or several young congregations, and in so doing, he's writing them uh, this letter to correct them, to say, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that you have abandoned the gospel of grace. More than that, you have abandoned Jesus, who's called you by grace, and then he goes in to defend himself until we get to this point where he says, like, I'm not afraid of anybody, and if you don't believe me, check this little scene out that happened at Antioch with your boy Peter. You know Peter? The one who everybody loves, the one who everybody looks up to as the pillar. That's what he says in Galatians 2, 1 through 10. He's a pillar. He's this guy that everybody loves. Everybody's going to listen to him. Matter of fact, you guys, you circumcision party, you're, you're telling me that he doesn't approve of my ministry. Let me tell you, 
Not only does he approve of my ministry as if I needed that, but there have been times where we have been so close, we've been able to have this type of relationship. Galatians 2.11, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch ministering, Peter comes to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Just leave the Bible up there. We're just going to look at it and just dissect it. What I love about this is that Paul is, is approaching Peter, this pillar, this person that literally walked with Jesus while he was here, and he confronts him. And he does so not to shame him, but because he loves him. See, it would be shameful if Peter, if, excuse me, if Paul something, saw something in Peter and didn't say something. And instead, what he's juxtaposing here is what biblical community looks like with what unbiblical community looks like. You see, the circumcision group has gone around and they've started to spread lies about who Peter is and who, excuse me, who Paul is. And what Paul is going to model for all of us is, no, 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 the way that you engage in disagreements and conflict is face to face. See it? Face to face. And actually, the Greek is against his face. Like, there's just something beautiful about the, the literal translation here of the Greek of against his face. It's not cheek to cheek. Don't try and, don't try and sanitize it. They're not like, oh, Peter, I love you, and also you're terrible. That's not what's happening. It's right here. It's right here against his face. Like, there's, there's something beautiful about that that we need to rediscover as a social media culture. We don't do face to face. We do screen to screen. Keyboard to screen, screen to keyboard, and then it gets all lost in translation, and then there's tone, and there's, ooh, I got all this stuff, and I'm going to post a meme about it. Oh, gosh, come on, help me. Now it's a mess and nobody wants to talk. And if they, if you're still posting all the things and you haven't heard like any disagreements, there's a reason. Your friends have unfollowed you. <laughs> they can't handle it anymore. They hit the unfollow button. If you're not unfollow people, it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I love unfollowing people. All right, back to this. I'll tell you what, though, like I should probably have those conversations. Instead of being like, dude, I can't do it. I just, I'm done. Unfollow. Or snooze for 30 days. That's maybe my second favorite button. <laughs> Paul goes against his face. It is not a shame to talk against your brother or your sister if you do so face to face. It is a shame to do it around your brother or your sister. That's what the circumcision party is doing. And, and I would bet that Paul, being an expert in the law, being an expert in the Old Testament, probably has Proverbs 16, 28 running through his veins when he is approaching Peter in front of the crowd. Proverbs 16 says this, a dishonest man spreads strife. How do you know that they're dishonest? They spread conflict. They don't handle it. They spread it. That's how you know you're dealing with a dishonest person. A dishonest person spreads conflict. And a whisperer separates close friends. It's not the person that's coming at you face to face that's trying to separate you. It's the whisperer. The one you only hear about, that's the one. That's the one. The gospel forms a community as you and I quit finding reasons for division and unite around the gospel, even if it means engaging in conflict. Gospel unity does not equal blind acceptance. 
Peter, Paul is not about blind acceptance. Like, hey, bro, I know your heart's all good. I know your heart, and your outward expression of your heart is misaligned. We need to talk. Not blind acceptance. It is instead engaging in a humble, merciful way. Notice what Paul does at the end of this. We'll get there. But he asks a question. How are you, though a Jew, and yet living like a Gentile? Now going to the Jews and pretending like it doesn't all matter? Or something like that? If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? He's asking this question, this beautiful, merciful, honest question. That say, hey man, it just seems to me something's out of order. May I ask a question here? Get back into the text, second part of 11. Paul confronted Peter because Peter stood condemned. Now I'll tell you this, when I was studying this week, that, that troubled me. Because one of my and one of your verses that you should have hidden in your heart as a, as a, as like a, just a strength for the Christian journey is Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So then, Paul, how is it that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and Peter stands condemned? Two different Greek words that truly in the Greek, if you have an NIV, it's beautifully translated though he was clearly in the wrong. So the word in Galatians is doing something wrong. The word in Romans is being judged for the wrong. Therefore, there is now no judgment for your wrongdoing for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet Peter stands clearly in the wrong. One has a place in our lives and the other one has no place in our lives. Clearly wrongdoing is a part of the Christian life. Amen? Yes, clearly wrongdoing has a part in the Christian life, but the judgment for that wrongdoing has been taken by Christ, which is why we now stand uncondemned before God. As Christians, friends, as Christians, this is a great strength for us. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a great warning for you. For you are condemned. Not because I've put condemnation on you, but because if you read John 3, you are already condemned. I didn't come to place judgment in this world. No, you're already condemned. I've come to get you out of that. So Romans 8 is this great source of strength and a grave warning for us because condemnation has no place in the life of the Christian. Not for yourself and not for others. Condemnation has no place in the life of the Christian, not for yourself and not for others. And so we move on into verse 12, right? What is it that Peter was doing that was so obviously wrong? Why, what is it that caused Paul to stand up publicly in front of everyone and go, hey bro, we gotta handle this face to face? Verse 12. Well, for before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter ate and drank with the Gentiles. This is like um, the scene in Can't Buy Me Love or the scene from The Breakfast Club or the scene from Mean Girls where like they're in the cafeteria and like no one has watched 80s or 90s movies. Am I the only one? Oh, I get it. You guys don't have cable and stuff like that? Is that like the deal? Okay, cool. Well, I'll just stand here alone and talk about things that don't, you don't even know about. But anyways, these are the things. This is the scene in the cafeteria where the cool kids come in and they see their new friend that just moved in from out of town. Like, why are you hanging out with the nerds? This is the scene. 
And so he was like, oh, man, my bad. No, they were nerds. Actually, I wasn't even sitting with them. I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you guys are nerds. I was coming over to you guys. That's the scene, right? That's what's going on. And so, but this is more than just that, of course. Paul ate and drank freely with the Gentiles, unbound by the Old Testament food laws, which have you read those lately? No medium rare steaks, sin. No, they would say you're sinful. Only well done, no shrimp cocktail. Worst of all, no bacon. <laughs> Anathema. No bacon, because pigs were unclean. Uh, and yet Peter, though a Jew, enjoyed the freedom that came with sitting with the Gentiles, eating and drinking with them, as if the Old Testament food laws didn't really apply to him. But when the Jews came from Jerusalem, they, he saw them and he was like, yeah, I ain't doing that. It's not worth the fight. I'm out. Was this sin really that bad? Did it really necessitate Paul's public confrontation in front of everyone? Yes. That's the answer. Because it was more, uh, it was about more than bacon or shrimp or medium rare steaks. This was about fear. Right? He feared the circumcision party and the worst kind of fear is the fear of man. Fear of rejection. Man, I'm just, I just can't handle the criticism anymore. It's just easier to just give up on the gospel and go hang out with the Jews. That's ultimately what's going on here, right? He, it says right here in verse 12 that he withdrew. He drew back and separated himself. This word here is not just that he drew back, or that it is that he withdrew from his previous position in the gospel. So it's not just about like dis dissing the Gentiles. This is about when he dissed the Gentiles, he also dissed Jesus. He's actually a guy that Paul's writing to in Galatians. Don't abandon the faith. Even you, Pete. See, Paul knew that when we withdraw from the freedom found in Christ, we withdraw from Christ himself. This wasn't just a withdrawal from the cool crowd or bacon or not bacon or vegetarian or keto or whatever it is that you do, but from his firm position in the gospel. Peter had committed a sin of omission and not a sin of commission. Let me break those down for you. Sometimes we commit sins, we, we know the right and wrong and we do it anyways. Most of us would, would categorize most of our sin with that. Like, I know right or wrong, Still gonna choose wrong. That's sin of commission. You've committed a sin. Peter, if you didn't know him, he's committing a sin of omission. He, he knows what's right and he chooses to not do it. So we need to get that category in our mind when we start talking about a particular awareness of our own sinfulness, that it's not just the things that we know are wrong and we do them anyways, it's the things that we know are right and we don't do them. See, that's where obedience of Jesus comes into play, not to earn favor with God, but because God's favor has been freely given with us, to us, and so therefore we want to love him and follow him. But Lord, have mercy if we shrink back from the gospel by committing either kind of sin, commission or omission, and have not a brother or sister to speak against our face. Peter's actions weren't done in a vacuum. They never are, causing uncertainty on how to live and love those that were different than him those that were different than Barnabas, those that were different than the Jews that were looking on. 
It wasn't a homogenous culture. Instead, there were differences of race and religion and custom and, and what was okay and wasn't, what, wasn't okay, what wasn't okay. And Peter drew back and caused confusion. In verse 13, it continues, right? And the rest of the Jews acted hypocr- hypocritically along with Peter so that even Barnabas, this other great leader, was led astray by their hypocrisy. This idea of a, a hypocrite is not a small thing, right? No, instead, this, I love that this, this word here in the Greek is literally play acting, like you're pretending to be someone that you're not. That's why I love about Carol when she came up. Great is the Lord, and his name is, is worthy of all praise, or, and something like that. And also, I'm really nervous. Praise the Lord. She ain't pretending. She's going to be herself. And she invites all of us to just be imperfect and nervous when we step on a stage and there's lights. It's all right. Are you supposed to make this home? This isn't supposed to be home. This isn't normal. Yeah, so like she's not play acting. Peter was play acting. And Paul says, man, your hypocrisy isn't just bad for you. It's bad for Barnabas and all the Jews that are looking on here. You're pretending to be someone you're not, bro. We need to get this aligned. And so he says that your walk in 14... But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with, with the truth of the gospel, this idea of being in step with the truth of the gospel has this prefix of ortho, orthopedics, or orthodontist. You go to the orthodontist, or you're, we're all going to spend lots of money soon in our future as young parents at the orthodontist to straighten teeth. That's what they do. They straighten your, the, the, your kids' teeth. Maybe some of you have been there. And then, or you go to like an orthopedic surgeon, they're going to cut you open and straighten you out, your back or your, your bone, it's out misaligned or deformed, and an orthopedic surgeon or orthopedic doctor is going to align you. That's the word here, to keep you aligned. Your walk, Peter, is out of line with the gospel. It's not aligned. So surely this is worth a confrontation and a correction. Peter's walk was crooked. And Paul saw that this was a core gospel issue. All right. That's what happened at Antioch. Now we've got to ask some questions. We probably find ourselves in one of three categories. Some of us are Peters. Some of us are known for putting our foot in our mouths every once in a while. Not that I would know anything about that. Some of us are, are leading others and yet are maybe not aware as how important your voice is to the formation of others. And so to the Peters in the house, the people pleasers, the fearful to disappoint others. First, man, like before I even get into these questions, like I get it. I get how Peter felt at Antioch because he's, he's there He's, he's just, just trying to fit in and trying to do his best and trying to like, you know, build bridges with the gospel. And then just somebody shows up, man, and like, and he just changes. You ever like been around somebody where you change? They show up, they come into the room, they check on your cubicle, whatever, and you just, I don't know how to act around that person, so I'm gonna play it really safe. You don't know this? If someone walks in the room and they've got immediate power over how you act, do you know that person in your life, Peter? 
Do you know the people in your life, Peter, who have power over you and then you know that they have power over you because you change when you get in their presence? Who has power over you that changes your outward behavior to the point that others would question your inward convictions? Are you aware that your life is on display, Peter, for the sake of others? How will you represent Christ and his gospel? Will you shrink back from socially awkward situations so as not to cause a stir? Peter, are you above correction? That even when you do something wrong, are you okay with receiving a brother or sister and saying, hey man, like, it's got issues with what you did. Are you able to say, I'm listening? Or are you gonna get defensive and dismiss? Peter, how are you hypocritical? Peter, how is it that you, your outsides don't match your insides? How is it that your life on the outside is not aligned with the gospel? Do you shake hands during the past the peace and yet despise your brother and sister as you sit there and listen to a gospel-centered sermon on gospel conflict? Will you come back next week and participate in communion having not reconciled? Peter, face-to-face here, bro or sis, let's get this right for the sake of the gospel. To the Barnabases, those that are known for being encouraging, man, like everybody loves the Barnabas. You need a Barnabas in your life. Everybody loves that Barnabas. I had a Barnabas here a couple weeks ago. Paul Pettit from DTS, he stood up over here. If you weren't here that day, that's fine. He was over here. Like he's just an encourager. Like dude, you're just gonna come alongside him and be like, man, it was great, love it. He actually said to me afterwards, he said, hey, just so you know, you have five more years of license to preach the gospel, well done. He doesn't have the power to do that. He was just encouraging me. I was somewhere with Beak while he was here and we were, I was uh, training some people on a few things and Beak, as he's saying goodbye to me to go to another meeting, he's right, he goes, good job, Pastor. All right, man, he just had to encourage me. Thanks, bro. Are you, you Barnabas is in the house. Are you loyal and loving and are you loyal and loving to a fault? Are you so encouraging that you don't take the time to see and speak the truth to your brother and your sister? Are you willing to risk being disliked so that your brother and sister might find life? Are you willing to risk that? And now to the Pauls. Those were easier questions. To the Pauls in the house, when, when do you know how to confront? Or how, let me get, just the easier question is this. How do you confront your brother or your sister? Well, it's obvious that God desires a, 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 a face-to-face conversation to the person and not about the person. Second, where do you confront or, confret, uh, or correct? Where do you do it? Depends on the person and the place. For Peter, his sin was public and he was a pillar in the faith and therefore he was leading others astray. And so Paul saw it right and good to publicly correct him and says before all of them because Barnabas was being led astray and all the Jews were being led astray. And all of a sudden they're There wasn't an alignment with the gospel, an alignment with the freedom that Jesus has purchased on their behalf. And so Paul, seeing all this, said, man, you're a leader and you're leading others astray and your sin was public. Therefore, this is a public correction for you. Sometimes that's appropriate. Some of you right now are breaking out in hives thinking, oh, help me. I'm never saying anything in public to everyone. Look, like there is the Matthew 18 way. If you sin against me, we're gonna go one-on-one, then we're gonna go one-on-two, then we're gonna go one-on-the church, and after that, we love you, but you gotta go. That's, that's good for personal offenses. 
But when it starts getting public and it starts getting leaders involved, man, there just comes a point where sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, sometimes public correction is appropriate. So here's my question, really, as we get down to the end of this. When, how do you know when to confront someone? Do you want to know this? I want to know this. How do you know when to confront or correct a brother or a sister, whether it be public, whether it be private? When? Paul shows the way. When someone is walking out of step with the truth of the gospel, that's it. Period. Full stop. When someone is walking out of step with the truth of the good news that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, that you cannot earn God's favor, not by good behavior, not by church attendance, not by serving the nursery, nothing. Not one thing that you can do will earn favor with God. So when someone's walk is out of step with that good news, it perhaps is time to engage. And then there are all sorts of ways that we, and, and reasons we shouldn't engage in conflict and in correction. And I'm going to point out four. I said we were ending. We're on the way. Our politics. If our politics and our political colors are at the center of our lives, we will cause division and drive a wedge in between our brothers and sisters that love Jesus for no reason other than they like Trump or they don't like Trump. Is that the reason why you want to like disfellowship someone you're going to see with Jesus one day? Maybe. I don't. I don't want my voting record to be the thing that puts me between you or anything between us. But when we put our politics at the forefront of things, we can drive a wedge in between our brothers and sisters. If it's not politics, if that's not your thing, preference, when we make preference, uh, the gospel, what we, here's what we do. Like you've heard this, this, this analogy before, but here's what we do when we make preference the thing that we're gonna correct one another on. We go down the line at Chipotle and we enjoy our burrito and we love it or, or whatever, your burrito bowl, if you're like, you know, carb free or whatever you are. Um, I don't even know what that word is because I don't do it. So, um, and so you're at the end of the line and then you say to your brother and your sister, and now you have to eat the same thing. That's my preferences, and now you must do the same thing that I'm doing. When I make my preferences at the center of my life, I'm living like a Chipotle Christian and then causing you to like the things that I like. That's what you do. That's what I do. Politics, not preference, not perception. When we hear something that we disagree with or that may be offensive, we perceive something and then assume that my perception is the gospel or reality, or truth. And then we take that perception and we create a whole world that actually doesn't exist. And then we start relating to one another out of this false reality. We judge one another and then we start recruiting others for this cause of my own false perception. Instead of going to the person and saying, hey brother, hey sister, I heard you say X, Y, or Z. Could you help me understand? Our perception is not a reason for confrontation. Finally, our personality. All you who love the Enneagram, we're all different. We're all, we all have different stories. We all have different personalities. And that should give us mercy towards one another. Because we all do things differently. All right, so here's the hard truth for the Grove. 
you're probably not going to write a bunch of stuff down after this. Why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know when to confront and when not to confront? And I'll just tell you right now, like on Thursday night or Thursday uh, when I was preparing all this, and even this morning we're, we're, we're singing about God's grace, I, I'm just in tears. I'm in tears because we're not good at this. I'm not good at this, so y'all probably following my lead. I'm not good at this, and we're not good at this. And so I just sat at mugs hoping that no one was around. They were mopping, so I'm, I'm thinking that no one was around. I just had my hat on, head down, ready to go. And then the Lord lands, the Spirit lands, and I texted my wife, pray for me, I'm getting messed up by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're just not good at this. See, healthy conflict is a means of growth and sanctification. If we're going to mature, we must engage in this healthy conflict. If we criticize everything that you disagree with, if you die on every hill of, of perceived injustice and call out everyone that lives differently than you, not only are you gonna be really miserable, but you're gonna wear down really good leaders. May I ask us one last series of questions? Will we humbly submit to one another? Will we ask ones that we love and that love us in our neighborhood groups, in our growth groups, if there are areas of our lives that are out of step with the gospel? Will we, will we, will we submit to that kind of feedback to one another? Hey, is there something in me that's just out of line with the truth of the gospel? And then will we listen? Maybe we don't need public confrontation. Maybe we just need to, like, just privately ask. If we're prone to doubt or criticize, may we do so face to face. May we ask questions, just like Paul did. Hey, yo, you who are a Jew, hang out with the Gentiles. This just doesn't seem right, Peter. Can you help me understand? You who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. We submit to this kind of maturity process, face to face, loving one another in such a way that we speak the truth to one another in love. Would we ask one another good hard questions so that we may be formed into the image of Jesus? Let me pray. Think about public conflict, Jesus. Is that we're terrible at it? Think about conflict, is that we're terrible at it? And yet I rejoice in how far we have come. I rejoice in the fact that even before we began today, someone came to me to, to shore up conflict that I didn't even know what was going on. I'm grateful for all of us who just, we're just pleading with mercy, with you for mercy on how to live and love one another well. May we play a part, we all play a part. May we realize the part that we play in one another's sanctification in the health of our little church here. 
For the students that are in the back and coming in, I, I invite them to come in and respond by song. They had their student Sunday, praise God for the truth that was spoken to them and, and with one another. And for all of us, we're not, we don't, we're not in a hurry. We don't have to get out of here. We don't have to go get our kids for communion. Everybody in the back has got it. They're fine. And so maybe we just respond by the Holy Spirit and just ask the Lord what we need in this time. Because I sure don't know. So Holy Spirit, would you counsel us? Would you, would you correct us? Would you convict us? Would you give us the courage then to walk boldly with you into humility, into repentance, in a confession with one another. And let not any dictation from any pastor be the reason why we would do any of this. Not any feeling of guilt or manipulation be the reason why we would be obedient. Instead, it's because of your great love for us. May we be motivated this is how you loved us. You, you came to us. You, 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 you reasoned with us at some point in our lives, told us that we were wrong, and we were like, yeah, man, we're wrong. You're right. Let's, let's roll. Not only that, but this walk with the Spirit, may you counsel and correct along the way. May you do that through our brothers and sisters. And so I want to go first and just say to my brothers and sisters, if you see something in me, come and tell me. Come and ask the question. We receive that kind of correction because it makes me and you more mature in the faith, more sanctified unto Jesus. We love you. Help us in Christ's name. Amen.